morning, church. Uh, good morning and, and welcome to our neighbors. I am glad to be together with you this morning um, and super thankful for just a time to sing together. Uh, we've been going through a series that we've called Image and it's really been wrestling with the question posed in that psalm that we read together this morning. In Psalm 8, um, the poet writes, who is man that God is mindful of him? And I feel like sometimes we can get into that mindset. Like, who are we? What, what's the big deal about my life? Why is God, as we sang, creator of the universe and Lord over all, why is he concerned about what I do with my life? Like, there are other things that he should be worried about. He shouldn't necessarily be worried about me. And how incredible is it? that God pays attention to us and cares about the decisions that we make, uh, even the words that we say, even the thoughts that we think. And as we've been going through this series, which has built on itself, um, we realized in that first week that God cares about us and cares about what we do with our life because we were made to be like him. So as he made all the creatures, he made all the critters, the sea critters, the birds, um, as he made the stars and the, and the um, planets, as he made uh, dry land, as he made oceans, he made something different. Like all of those things uh, bring God glory. They, they tell us how great God is, but he wanted to make something that was special, that represented him to the rest of creation. And so God made humanity in his image, in his likeness, to be like him. Um, and we learned in that first week that we were created to honor God completely in all of our relationships and all of our work. That's what it means to be made in, in, in God's image. You made us to represent him to the rest of creation, which means we are going to honor God in all of our relationships and in all of our work. And last week we talked about um, something special that God did. He, he as creator, um, is the father of all of us. But we, but we know that fatherhood is kind of a temporary uh, status. Like, yes, we all have a dad. Um, we're coming around to Father's Day, hint, hint. Um, but we all have a dad, but there comes a day where we're ready to get out of the house, where we don't want to be under dad's authority anymore. And so God chose to, chose to do something a little bit different in the world to show a different kind of relationship that he wants to have. He doesn't just want to be your father. He also wants to be your spouse, and he started to show this picture by what he was doing in the nation of Israel. He, he made this nation who was out of nothing. They were in slaves in Egypt under, uh, under Pharaoh. And God chose them, wooed them, like proposed marriage to them and said, I want you to be my people. I want you to be exclusive to me. And, um, and I'll do something special with you. And I'll bless the rest of the world be through you. And Israel's like, yeah, cool, sounds like a great deal, and chooses, chooses Yahweh to follow Yahweh. But then they continue to worship other gods. They continue to um, look at the gods of Egypt or look at the gods of the Canaanites, and they continue to do things that don't honor God in their relationships and in their work. And God um, rightly refuses to share his bride. And he um, exercises judgment on them, and he even does something really crazy in that he extends the family of God 
to include people that aren't belonging to Israel. So he, he brings us in. I don't think any of us have a Jewish background, so we're not heirs to the promises um, of Israel. But because of the work that Jesus did, he makes us, he makes the church his bride. And God rightly refuses to share his bride. So that's honoring God in all of our relationships and in all of our work. There's one other component of relationships that um, I want to talk about this morning. And have you ever had the experience of looking at a, at a calendar and realizing, oh, those two things are happening at the same time? Um, and sometimes it's a good thing, like, oh, cool, those things are going together. And sometimes it's like, I did not anticipate this. We'll see how this goes. Um, this, this, week's, yeah, this week for me was one of those, I really hope that this works out great, because we're preparing tomorrow to have a day of remembrance. We're preparing tomorrow to celebrate Memorial Day and to remember those who have fallen in defense of our country and, and in defense of the freedoms that we enjoy here. Um, at the same time, I want to talk about how we honor God in our social relationships, our government relationships. And I realize that in doing so, it may seem like it's coming across unpatriotic, and I don't mean to, to do that at all. I actually am more patriotic today than I have been in my whole life, like uh, just the season of life. I'm so grateful to be in the country that we're in. Um, and so all of that to say... Uh, it worked out perfectly. We plan out our sermon series, and sometimes there's there's gaps, or not gaps, but sometimes we don't fill in all the lines of exactly what's going to go on each week. And so we, we knew we were going to be in this series this week, but we didn't know that we were going to be talking about government relationships. So when I got into it this week, I was like, oh, this is happening on Memorial Day. That's kind of cool. So what does God, does God care about how we participate in government at all? Um, does it matter? Anybody super excited about that? <laughs> I, I hope that uh, yeah I hope that you will be I I uh, I'm I'm excited to talk with you through it. Um, I'd like to begin with prayer, and we're going to pray together the disciples' prayer. But before we do that, I just would like to pray, um, pray, and thank God for for the veterans that have given their lives um, in defense of our country. Before we begin, so would you pray together with me, and then join with me as I move into the disciples' prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for how it instructs us. And Lord, we are pausing together today and we just acknowledge that the moment we live in in history is a unique one. That the blessings that we enjoy because of the nation that we live in are unique in world history. And God, we acknowledge that those blessings and those freedoms that are, that are um, treasured and valuable to us, um, God, they come from you ultimately. And Lord, we thank you for those men and women who have laid down their own life here to preserve what we're enjoying this morning, that we could gather together and pray openly with doors unlocked and windows uh, open without fear of being dragged away. And Lord, that's one small thing among many that we take for granted every week. So Lord, we thank you for how you have worked in the world, and we thank you for the men and women you have used. We honor their sacrifice by expressing our freedom. 
And so this morning we pray that um, you would be with those who are grieving and mourning their loss. And we pray together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we talked last week about how God... um, took this special nation of Israel and he pulls them aside and says, hey, I'm Yahweh, I'm the creator God, I'm the only one that exists. Like you guys know of other little g, little lowercase g gods, um, but I'm the one that actually exists. And in order to show you that, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to help you escape from, I'm going to help you escape from this slavery that you're in. Not because you earned it, but just because I love you. And so that's the story of the nation of Israel. God shows up, and actually as you read the first chapters of the book of Exodus, if, you're, if you know anything about um, Egyptian, uh, Egyptian deities and Egyptian religion, as God goes through and ex- executes the plagues, each plague that God exercises is, is a direct attack against one of the Egyptian deities. So the Egyptians had all of these different gods that they said had all of these different kind of powers over all of these different kind of things. And as God says, yeah, let my people go to worship me in truth, um, Pharaoh's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Pharaoh himself, considering himself God on the earth, um, says, no, I'm not going to listen to Yahweh. I'm going I'm to do what I want to do. And God says, all right, well, let me tackle these one by one. And goes through essentially a checklist of the most powerful Egyptian deities and says, yeah, the Nile River, I'm going to make that blood and uninhabitable. Yeah, you know, um, frogs, uh, I don't know why they had a frog god, but uh, I'm going to have a frog god, and I'm going to have locusts, and, you know, Lord of your harvest, like your harvest isn't going to happen because of all these locusts, and he goes through all of these Egyptian gods and essentially does battle with each of them in order to show that I am supreme. And the final plague, the one that we uh, that the Jews would celebrate with Passover, is is the death, and the death of everybody, uh, of the firstborn son. And for God to be able to walk into Pharaoh's um, Pharaoh's house and to kill his firstborn son, the heir, the the God apparent uh, that is coming in, is to exercise. Yeah, I could come for you too. I just chose not to. And so God lays this smack down and says, look, I'm, I'm delivering you from this false religion. I'm going to bring you out to be mine. I want, you, uh, want to save you um, to be exclusive to me. And as he does that, he says, I, you know what? I'm going to make you into a nation. You guys are a big family. There's, there's 12 families within your family, and you're a big family. Um, but I'm going to take you and make you into a nation. And what does a nation need? Like if you're going to make a country, what, what would you need? I mean, it could be hypothetical. I'll answer it for you, but I think you guys have some ideas. What do you need to make a country? Ah, uh, you need people. Okay, we got a family. What else we need? You need a government. You need buildings. An army. Some defense. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, what do you put? What do you put the buildings on? 
You need some land. Like you can't really have a country if you don't have any kind of land, right? Um, and infrastructure, right? So you've got a group of people who their whole lives, them, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents all have served either as shepherds or as slaves. And you're going to take them out and you're going to say, we're going to make a nation out of you. All right, what do, what do we need? Well, we're going to need some place to go. Don't worry, I promise you I'm going to give you a land, all right? So he takes them to a promise, or he's moving them toward a promised land, and he wants to begin to, uh, he's going to actually use, he doesn't need an army because God ends up fighting all their battles for them as they go. Um, but they uh, need to set up some kind of a government. And God says, look, I'm going to give you a government. I'm going to give you a constitution, some rules for you guys to abide by. And these are going to sound familiar to you, but I don't know if you've thought about them in this way. Open with me to Exodus chapter 20. If you want to use these blue Bibles here, it's on page 76. And we're going to look at the constitution of the nation of Israel as given by God at the founding of their new nation. Exodus chapter 20, page 76 in the blue Bibles. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and, mother, and your mother, that, in your, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's or anything that is your neighbor's. I'll pause there. So when I read that to you, the first thing that popped in your, who, yeah, who, when you read that, the first thing that popped in your mind was, oh, I know that. That's Israel's constitution. Right? Who thought, oh, I know that. That's the Ten Commandments. Yeah? So we know these as the Ten Commandments. These are familiar to us. We'll see them um, even cross-stitched on Grandma's wall, right? Like these are something that we are, are kind of familiar with. And God writes out this, um, not just as a list of things to do, but he, this is the preamble to the constitution of the nation of Israel that's just starting. So I'm going to give you a government. Now, there's something that I want to highlight for us just here at the beginning. The preamble to the constitution of the nation of Israel is, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The preamble to our Constitution starts with, we the people. So at the beginning, we should feel some tension between our Constitution as Americans starts focused in on us. We the people. We have the authority. We have the power to invest in the government. Uh, Israel's Constitution starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you see there's a difference in focus there? One of these comes down from heaven, and the other one is derived by brilliant men on earth. Right? And he gives these rules. Notice the first four of them relate to the relationship with God. The, first, the most important thing about us is how we relate to God. If we're going to honor God in all of our relationships, the first four commandments deal with honoring God in our relationship to him. The next six all deal with honoring God in our other relationships. And some of those are actually really easy to see. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Those are, those are simple things. We kind of get that. But then this last one really just cuts right through the heart. Do not covet. And covetousness is, is, is a desire for something that's not yours. A desire for you to have something that somebody else has so that they will not have it, but you will. It's building yourself up at the expense of other people. And, and like, how do you measure that? This is a really strange legal system. We know that the legal system can't legislate morality. And yet the Constitution here for the nation of Israel does legislate morality which just shows us that God is doing something very special at this time. He uh, helped these people escape slavery from Pharaoh. He fought all of their battles for them. He led them through uh, the, the Red Sea on dry ground, and he wiped out an army of what would be the military equivalent of tanks in their day. Like, if, if, if you were a group of people with, um, who were shepherds, grew up shepherds, and you suddenly had to go against a battalion of tanks you know, with your shepherd's staff, that would be the equivalent of Egypt, the Israelites trying to leave Egypt while there were chariots chasing after them. They just don't stand a chance. And God made sure that the largest army in the world at the time was completely wiped out. He's establishing a, a new nation under them. He's under Yahweh. And, and, and this is their constitution. This is how it starts. And I could spend a ton of time here, but I want to move us through two other passages um, before we do. But this ties in so much with uh, a lot of different things. And, and the way that we would talk through um, how we relate, how we as Americans, as believers, relate to the Ten Commandments is a much more nuanced conversation than I can do in like 30 minutes this morning. Um, but I do think it... it, it requires a lot more thinking than just like, yeah, it's right there. we got to do all that, right? Um, it's part of the story, but it's not the whole thing. But here's the question I want us to consider for a moment. Are we too quick to forget that God is in charge of the nations? Ultimately. Like, we're talking about a, a group of poor people who leave Egypt. They end up loaded with cash because people are essentially paying them to leave as they go. They accidentally wipe out a whole, the, the nation's strongest army, the most technologically advanced army, um, and they get set apart. 
Like, that doesn't happen by accident. Are we too quick to forget that God's in charge of the nations? That what happens on the global sphere is ultimately in his control. And sometimes we don't understand what it is he's doing or, or what it is he's trying to accomplish, but it doesn't mean he's not in control. The Psalms actually point to this idea in a really interesting way. Um, Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of like the double doors to the book of Psalms. You, you have to go through both of them to understand the rest of them. And Psalm 1 talks about drinking deeply from the word of God. And Psalm 2 talks about how God is in control of the nations. All of the kings of the nations get together and conspire against God, how to break his bonds, how to rebel against him and to set up their own thing. And God sits in heaven and laughs at him. says, I got a king for you. Are we too quick to forget God is in charge of the nations? Because there's a difference between being engaged with what's happening um, socially and politically. There's a difference between being engaged and being frantic. There's a difference between putting all of our hope and, and peace and rest and accomplishing our political ends and putting all of our hope and rest and peace in God who's in charge of all of it anyway. Are we too quick to forget God is in charge of the nations? There's something interesting that happens with the nation of Israel. God sets them apart and, and essentially gives them this incredible governmental structure, which I would love to talk to you about uh, a lot. Um, I actually am a government nerd. That was my minor in, um, in, um, in college. I get minored in, in constitutional government. So I could talk about it for hours, but I'm not, not going to. But I do want to point out that something really interesting happens with the nation of Israel. We talked last week about how they cheated, right? They were not faithful to Yahweh. Yahweh set them apart to be a nation exclusive to him, and they chose up to worship other gods, and God considered that adultery. Well, um, what's really interesting is one of the ways that they cheated on God, that God considered idolatry. I want to show it to you in Isaiah chapter 30. And so that's going to be on page 741 in these blue Bibles. Isaiah 30. I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm flipping to 741 in these blue bottles here. Things get tough, um, as happens in, uh, in international politics. Things get tough. And Israel uh, is under attack. They've got a threat coming in from Assyria, from the north. And they're concerned that they're going to be wiped out. And so they come up with a plan. And then they begin to enact their plan. And here's what God says to them about their plan. Isaiah chapter 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the, therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at zone and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame 
through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. So, the people of Israel find themselves in a really big pickle. They've got a nation coming in from the north that's going to obliterate them. Like, it's been hundreds of years. They're established in the land that God gave them. They've kind of been doing things on their own. They've had a series of kings, some good, some bad. Um, they've got an army to defend themselves. They're kind of like on the, the stage now. And they've got a, a huge nation of Assyria is going to come down and wants to take them captive. And they say, Oh no, like we can't take on these, these Assyrians, like we need, we need help and we need help now. And they get real pragmatic and they say, who has help? Who has people that can, who has a bigger army than us? Oh, Egypt. And so these people who had been delivered by the mighty hand of God from oppression and slavery of Egypt turn back around and say, we want to go back and we want Pharaoh to protect us. And God says, y'all are so stubborn. Didn't I take you out of there? Wasn't, wasn't life bad when you were serving Pharaoh? And it's a real pragmatic thing. Like, you look at, like, okay, well, I don't have an army, like, staring, like, with, I'm not looking down the barrel of a gun right now, and so maybe I can look back uh, with, you know, kind of cynical thing and be like, of course they should have trusted God, but they've got an army coming down that wants to wipe them out. And God says, look, I set you apart, I made you my people, and now you're making plans, you're not even asking me. You're going to go back under the thumb of Pharaoh? That's not what I want for you. He goes on in, in chapter 30 to say, I am sending prophets to you to tell you this is a bad idea, and you keep telling the prophets to shut up. You imprison them, because you don't want to hear what they have to say. They're telling you the truth. But you don't want to hear it. This is a bad idea. So turn the page in Isaiah 31. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. Do not look, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he, the Lord, is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. I'll pause there. He says, look, you're looking at a pragmatic situation. You're trying to come up with a pragmatic solution. Understand that you are looking to men for help that can only come from heaven. You're looking to Egypt because they've got a bigger army than you. They've got better guns. But I am the one who's controlling what happens within nations. The battle is mine, and I direct it. And that should lead us into some tension as we consider God's sovereignty about, like, oh, well, what about... Why do people have to die? But he says, ultimately, like, you guys have brought this, he says to Israel, you guys have brought this upon yourselves because you haven't turned to me and asked me for help. You haven't looked to me for guidance. And in verse 6 of chapter 31, he, he tells them what to do. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. 
He says, this pragmatic running back to Egypt is actually idolatry. I made you, humanity, to represent me to the rest of creation. And for whatever reason, the way sin works in our hearts is we often find things in creation that we would rather worship than the one who made it. And here, God gets real specific with Israel and says, where is your trust? I brought you this far. Am I going to leave you now? Don't you remember when I wiped out the armies of Egypt? And yet you're going to the armies of Egypt for help now. Is Yahweh king over our social and political life? It can be really difficult to keep in mind how in control God is and how much God loves us when we look at the news. And the news is designed to make us concerned about the condition of the world. But is Yahweh the king over our social and political life? Do we make decisions that are honoring to him in those relationships as well? Here's our big idea for the morning. God sends us as ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation. We've talked about how Israel is a special nation, a special country. They had a special relationship with God, and we've already highlighted how we're not them. Like, we have a different constitution. We're living in a different time. And so what are the principles that carry over? What are the things that, that we need to know? Like, God sent Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. Like, that was his plan from the beginning. When he, when he sat down with Abram, he says, I'm going to do something special with you, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. But mm, what about us? God sent Israel as an ambassador of his kingdom, and they didn't do a great job of representing the heavenly kingdom on earth. They constantly turned to different gods. But God sends us as ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation. So how do we honor him in our government and social relationships? One more passage, if you'd turn with me to Romans 13, page 1184. Romans 13. This is after Jesus' life, after his death and his resurrection. So these are the, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians that are living in Rome. And they have questions about how does the gospel, how does the truth that I am following Jesus and that King is, and Jesus is the actual king of all creation, how does that change how I deal with politics? And Romans 13 is where he begins to line that out. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honored is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves loves another has fulfilled the law. I'll pause there. Let's put the government into a perspective. Now, as you were reading this, um, you probably are a red-blooded American like me, and so when it says submit to authorities, like do what is good and and listen to them, they should be doing the right thing. Red-blooded Americans are like, yeah, but what if they're doing wrong? What if there's tyranny? I gotta stand up against it. I gotta revolt. I understand. And there are, like this is not, I told you I don't have time to get into all the nuances, but there are exceptions to this, but I don't want to talk about the exceptions. I want to talk about what the rule is before we talk about the exceptions. Is that all right? Because I think, I think that's helpful. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. If you're under a government, submit to the government. Pay your taxes. Follow the law. Listen to your parents. Listen to your teachers. Listen to your school. Listen to your boss. Why? Why is it that we could submit to authorities even when we know that we could do a better job than them? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Every person who has any kind of power or authority has been given that by God for some reason. I don't don't pretend to understand all the ins and outs of how this works. Because there are sometimes I go, why is that person in charge? They should not be in charge. Like, that's the last person that should be in charge. And yet, if I find myself under their authority, like, I, I have to understand, like, okay, there's, there's something here. God put them there for something. And I don't know what it is. It might be to make a fool of them. I don't know. But, but God has put people in charge. And so I show them respect. I, owe, I give honor to honors due. I, I give revenue to who revenue is due. I give respect to who rev- to respect is due. And so regardless of how we feel about any political candidates or otherwise, if they are in office, they deserve our respect. Jesus had a way of speaking truth to power that wasn't disrespectful. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in fact, we're instructed to pray for people who are in authority. That, that should be a regular thing. And so whether you think somebody's doing a good job or a bad job, whether you think somebody's a fool or not, like it is not becoming to followers of Jesus to make fun of people who are in authority. Jesus' kingdom isn't the nation of Israel, 
although it includes the nation of Israel. Um, we don't replace Israel, but we're a part of the kingdom. Like Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom, and we're a part of that. That's another conversation that we could spend a lot of time on. But we are actually citizens, first and foremost, of heaven. As we trust Jesus, our citizenship, our passport says heaven. So if we are citizens of heaven and we're present on earth under these governing authorities, what are we? We're ambassadors. Ambassadors live in a foreign country and they submit to the rules of the other government, but they submit to a different authority. Like their, their first authority is somewhere else. We're ambassadors of God's kingdom to every nation. The Christian faith has thrived under all different kinds of, of government systems. Democratic, socialist. God don't care. Our faith does not hinge, does not, uh, <laughs> cannot be destroyed by government. And so we'll give them honor, as much honor as due. They're a legitimate authority from God. But they also have limits because they answer to him. Faith communities can follow Jesus genuinely in any kind of government structure. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we see the American way as the only way. If the American way of practicing our faith is the only way, then we actually exclude a whole lot of people that are following Jesus. There's people alive today in other countries that can't follow Jesus the American way. Is their faith illegitimate? There have, been people, there have been people throughout history before America existed that did not follow Jesus the American way. And so there may come a day where the American way to follow Jesus doesn't exist anymore. But that doesn't mean that we can't still follow Jesus. We're ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. And disagreement amongst ourselves about social and political issues is, is, is actually a strength for us. United together in the blood of Jesus, we can disagree about tertiary, earthly matters. And we can still get along. And we can still speak kindly to one another. And we can still represent Jesus to our neighbors. Because God sends us as his ambassadors to every kingdom God sends us as ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation. So, would you pray together with me? God, again, we thank you for what you have done in history. We thank you for the example of Israel, and Lord, we know that we too would be quick to, to leave you given their situation and their circumstances. The heart issues are the same. So, Lord, may we not be too quick to pass judgment on them, but may we learn from them that our hearts are quick to make idols as well, that we are prone to wander from the God who saved us. Lord, would you not, would you not allow us to lead ourselves back into the slavery of sin? Would you deliver us from evil? And God, we thank you for the blessings that we enjoy. 
Lord, the, the, the person who is safe behind the wall can speak openly while somebody defends it. And so, Lord, I acknowledge that, that I am in debt, in debt to people who have, def- who have defended and continue to defend our country. And, Lord, I know that you are the one who's in control of all nations. So, Lord, would you help us to wrestle with these things? These are big ideas. And how they work out is sometimes difficult to understand. But, Lord, I ask that you would lead us and guide us to honor you in all of our relationships and to love our neighbor with every gift that you've given us the gift of citizenship in this country, the gift of the resources that you've given to us. Lord, would you teach us how to love our neighbors well with all of these gifts? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.